Thank you, choir and orchestra. I don't think I've heard that before, but I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Oftentimes I have heard someone say, if I had it to do over again, and I suppose that all of us can think of those things in our life when we would say, if I had it to do over again, maybe I would have done it differently, maybe I could do better. For instance, there was King David. I think David must have thought at times, if I had it to do over again concerning that Bathsheba thing, I might have done it differently. His life and the life of his family from that point was a disaster. And so I'm sure that he would like to have had an opportunity to have done that over. Simon Peter, Peter denied the Lord right after he was saying to, to Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to be faithful to you no matter what anyone else does, no matter what happens. I'm going to be faithful to you. But then the cock crowed and he denied the Lord. I'm sure that Peter must have thought, I, if I had it to do over again, maybe I would have done things differently if I had it to do over again. We all have things in life we think of, I'm sure you do as well as I, that when we think of them, we say, I, I wish I had a do-over on that one. I, I would like another opportunity on that one. So what I want to do today is to give you some principles for following God so that when you come to the end of life, you don't have a lot of, if I had it to do over again. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. We'll begin reading in verse number 17. Now it came about when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines even though it was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God shall surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Succoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. I know that you want to come to the end of your life and as you look back on it, you are pleased with it, but that will only happen if you make good decisions today. When we fail to make good decisions today, then we bring the result of that into our current situation. So how then do we make good decisions? How do we follow the Lord so that when we come to the end of life, we do not have a lot of, if I had it, to do over again? I want to give you four principles. The first is, the obvious is not always of God. 
We are tempted by the obvious because it seems to be of God, but the obvious, that that makes common sense is not always of God. Look at verse number 17. Now it came about when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and they return to Israel or to Egypt. You see, there were two ways of going from Egypt to Canaan. One could go from the north of Egypt to the south of Canaan, which was about a four or five day journey. The other route they could take was to go through the wilderness, which was much further. So why then would God tell them to go through the wilderness? Rather than take the short route, four or five days, he said, I want you to travel through the wilderness. Why was that? Because it's not obvious. Well, the reason for that is that the Hebrew spirit had been broken by slavery. They had been enslaved by the Egyptians for a long period of time. Thus they had the heart of a slave, not the heart of a soldier. So then God knew that they needed some time. They needed some time to heal. They needed some time to gain confidence. They needed some time to organize. So God knew that they were not ready to face the Philistines. So God led them through the long way because they were not yet ready. Folks, the truth is sometimes God leads us in the less obvious ways because we are not ready for that that lies ahead. That's the reason God said, for my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. Sometimes the Lord takes us on a longer journey than we think we should have gone because we are not ready for what lies before us. Now, we understand that physically. For instance, when I had knee surgery, I know you look at me and you think, I can't even even tell that you ever had surgery, just doing great. But when I had knee surgery, I didn't immediately go out and begin playing golf again. I asked if I could. But Karen, my therapist, said, no, you're not ready to do that. You have to go through therapy. It's going to be a while. I said, how long is a while? She says, about eight weeks. So the point is, is that I had a physical issue. I was not ready to do what I had once done, so it took some time to heal. We need to know that emotionally also because if you have a broken relationship, maybe it has ended in divorce or something, You need to take some time to heal. You need to take some time to evaluate. The last thing you need to do is to jump in another relationship because the chances are it's going to be the same as the last one if you have not evaluated and changed some things. It is true physically. It is true emotionally. That principle is also true spiritually. When God called me to preach... I did not immediately come as pastor of First Baptist Columbia. 
Now, ultimately, I believe that to be God's will, that this is where he wanted me to be. Well, then why didn't he just send me there immediately? Wendell, I want you to be at First Baptist Columbia. Why didn't he send me here immediately? Because I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared. So there had to be some steps that were taken to prepare me for being here. Now I've thought about it and I appreciate the churches where I've pastored. The first little church I pastored was a part-time church while I was going to school, Liberty Baptist. Okay, what did I learn there? I learned to preach. You might think, well, you didn't learn that good, but I learned to preach there anyway. And God bless those churches, you know, where the pastor learns to preach because they hear a lot of sorry preaching. And I know that they did for me. I preached on hell almost every Sunday. So in that first little church, I learned to preach. Now then I went to the First Baptist Church of Pahuska, and uh, there I learned administration. In that church, primarily the congregation was oil people and ranchers. They were extremely independent. They were extremely tough. But they taught me administration. I remember once I had gone to a deacon's meeting, and thank God you deacons are not like they were. I'd been to a deacon's meeting, and at 10 o'clock I got home, I drug in, I just sat down, started to talk to Linda for a minute, the doorbell rang, and it was a couple of deacons. It was uh, Bud Formby and Dr. Strom. They wanted to talk to me further because we had not come to an agreement on whatever the issue happened to be. So I went with them and we were out until 12 o'clock. We continued to discuss the issue at hand. But you see, it was there, going through that, that I learned administration and it was there that I learned to be tough enough to push for what you believe to be God's will. See, that prepared me for Larry Jordan. Some of you know Larry. And then I went from there to the Council Road Baptist Church where I learned to grow a church because that was a fast-growing church, and so I learned that there. So whenever I look at it all, I went through these steps so I could come here, and I really believe that. I believed in the first church I learned to preach. In the second church, I learned administration. The third church, I learned how to grow a church, how to deal with people. And then the Lord, whenever I was prepared, brought me here. But he did not immediately send me here after he had called me to preach. The obvious is not always best. What seems to be obvious in the spiritual is not always obvious. Look again at verse 17. It came about when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. The short route was the obvious way, but it was not God's choice. Why? Because he says, when they hear the noise of battle, when they hear the noise of battle, they were not ready to hear the noise of battle. If they did, then they would not hear the voice of God. He said, no, I don't want you to go that way because when you hear all the noise that is around you, all the battle that is taking place, it will drown out my voice and you will not hear me. Also, God's purpose would be forfeited by fear, which it was, because they wanted to return to Egypt as a result. Spiritual is not 
always obvious. For instance, when Israel decided that they wanted a king, they started looking for a king, and Saul was the obvious choice. You understand why they selected Saul. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 9, 2, Saul, a choice and handsome man, and there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. So when they are looking for a leader, Saul looked like a king. When they were looking for a leader, he was the obvious choice, but things did not work out so well. Because the Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, 26, you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. So Saul was the obvious choice, but he was not necessarily the spiritual choice and things didn't work out so well. The spiritual is not always so obvious. That's the reason the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not unto your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The spiritual is not always obvious, but we're always tempted by the obvious. The second principle is that God's leadership expects obedience, verse number 18. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Now God reveals His will to us. He reveals His will to us by steps or in a way that we can understand. I have a GPS in my car and I'm driving along trying to go to wherever it is that I'm trying to go. And when I am two miles away, it will say in two miles, turn right. When I'm one mile away, it will say get in the right lane. So it leads me, it guides me a step at a time and God reveals his will to us. Now listen, if you want to know God's will, God reveals his will to us usually a step at a time and in a way we can understand. Now look at verse number 21. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. Well, that's hard to miss, right? I mean, they're following the Lord in the wilderness. They're following the Lord so God gives them a cloud during the daytime, just follow the cloud. He gives them a pillar of fire by night, follow the pillar of fire. So God revealed himself to them in a way that they could easily understand. I look at the Apostle Paul when God called him to go to Macedonia. I see some steps there, how the Lord led him to go to Macedonia. The first thing is that God gave him a vision. In Acts chapter 16, verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. So he had a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. So it began then with a vision. God gave him a vision. Then the Lord closed some doors that he couldn't go through. Acts 16, verses 6 to 7, they passed through the Phrygian and the Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So Paul then 
has a vision of going to Macedonia. He starts to go this way, but the doors are closed. And then God opens the door for him to go to Macedonia. So he closed some doors. He opens some doors. God reveals his will to us in a way that we can understand. You struggle with that? I do. Um, maybe you don't, but I struggle. In fact, I know God's will best in retrospect when I look back and I say, well, that's what he was doing. But in, when you're going through it, you're walking in faith. I believe this is what God wants me to do. So I walk in faith. I get over here. I look back and I said, I see it. I was talking with Dr. Elif once, who was a mentor of mine. I said, Dr. Elif, how, how does one know God's will? He said, well, Linda, I said, Wendell, I, I asked four questions. And now this is not foolproof. It is, it is not something like that. But he said, I asked four questions. And most of the time when they line up, he says, then it is, has been God's will for me. He said, the first being, does it contradict scripture? Because God will never lead you to do anything that contradicts his word. Does it contradict scripture? The second thing he said is, does it make sense? Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean that you put your brain in cold storage. You're not going to need it anymore. So you look at the pros and the cons. You evaluate and so forth. So does it make sense? Now that's not a final, but that is certainly one of them. Third, is there an inner witness of the Spirit? Is there something in your heart, a witness of the Spirit that says, this is of God? Now, if you follow the Lord any, any length of time, you know what I'm speaking of. There are those times in my life when I know something's of God. Now, I couldn't explain it to you. But I know something is of God because there is an inner witness of the Spirit. And then fourthly, he said, is there opportunity to the doors open? He said, when all four of those things line up, most of the time it is God's will for me. So God reveals his will to us, but it is so that we might do his will. God revealed his will to Israel. There was a pillar of a, of a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, but it was so that they would follow the Lord. He revealed himself to them that they might follow him. God revealed his will to Paul that Paul might go to Macedonia. God revealed his will to Jonah that he might go to Nineveh. He had to send a fish to take him there, but nevertheless, he got him there. God reveals his will and expects obedience from us. The truth is sometimes his will is not that much of a mystery. We just don't want to do his will. There are some things that you know to be God's will. You just don't want to do it. What about have you been saved? You've been born again. You know the Lord. Have you been, have you been baptized? You're supposed to be. What about witnessing? The Bible says that uh, we who know the Lord are to be witnesses of the Lord. Are you a witness of Christ? You tell others about Jesus? Now this is the one that will get to church praying. I've learned this through the years. What about tithing? I have learned if you, if you want to have a prayer conference, just tell the people that you're going to have a stewardship campaign. Because they'll start saying, well, you know, I'm going to pray about that, preacher. So I know that they're praying. The truth is we know a lot of things God wants us to do. We just don't want to do them. 
God leads us and he expects obedience from us. If you're going to come to the end of life with as few, if I had it to do overs as possible, you know God's will, you do God's will. Third, God's will provokes opposition. Satan is going to oppose God's will in your life. I can promise you that. If you're going to do God's will, there's going to be opposition. God led Israel, but there was opposition. First of all, external opposition. Chapter 14, verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people. And they said, what is this we've done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him and he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. So the Egyptians then opposed their, their leaving. They are following the Lord. They have been given their freedom. So they're following the Lord. And now then there is external opposition. The Egyptian army came after them. But there was also internal opposition. Chapter 14 verse 10 and as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Their fear led them to reject. So there is opposition to God's will for them. There's external opposition that came from the Egyptians. There's internal opposition that came from those who were fearful. Another example would be Nehemiah. God told Nehemiah, Nehemiah, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and the broken walls. So he did that, but there was opposition. The Bible says in Nehemiah 4.1, Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. So the first thing he did was to mock them, made fun of them. That stops us a lot of times, doesn't it? When God leads us to do something and we start to do it and then someone makes fun of the idea. Well, that's what they did here concerning Nehemiah. Then in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse number 2, what are these feeble Jews doing? Who do they think they are that they can rebuild this city and the walls? Who do they think they are? So they mocked them. They planted a question in their mind. And then in Nehemiah 4.3, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and said, Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Who do these feeble Jews think they are? And even if they build the wall, if a fox jumped on it, it would knock it over. I have seen the remains of that wall, and apparently a fox didn't jump on it. Because all these thousands of years later, a portion of the wall is still there. You, ladies and gentlemen, will experience opposition to God's will for your life. Sometimes it comes from the family. When Job was trying to follow the Lord, his wife said, Job, why don't you curse God and die? He was suffering. She said, why don't you just get it over with? Curse God and die. Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. 
So sometimes the opposition comes from family. Sometimes it comes from friends. Bartimaeus was crying out to the Lord. Those who were with him said, sit down and shut up. Don't say anything. You're embarrassing yourself. You're embarrassing us. Sometimes the opposition in doing God's will will be opposed by your friends. Sometimes it's circumstances. God tells you to do something. But when you look at it, you say, I don't have the money to do that, or I'm too old to do that, or I'm too young to do that. So the point I want you to understand is that God's will provokes opposition. And so if, you, if you're seeking God's will in your life, there's going to be opposition. Don't expect it to be smooth sailing. Fourth principle is that prayer is not a substitute for obedience. Now, prayer begins the journey... It did with Israel. They prayed for deliverance from bondage, and God heard their prayer. That's when he called Moses, said, Moses, I want you to deliver my people. So God heard their prayer for deliverance and granted their request. They prayed for protection in chapter 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. They became frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. They asked for protection and God granted them protection. The journey begins with prayer. Our journey begins with prayer. First of all, it is the prayer when we invite Jesus to be our Savior and Lord, we commit ourselves to Him. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved, the Bible says. So whenever we invite Christ into our heart, that begins the journey. We find His will for service as we pray. So prayer begins the journey, doubt accompanies the journey. Even though you are following the Lord, you're committed to following the Lord, most of us have to deal with doubt, and they did. Chapter 14, verse number 11, then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt. They doubted as to whether or not they were going to enter into the promised land. There were doubts. They prayed asking the Lord for deliverance. He granted it. They prayed asking for protection. He granted it, but then they doubt. Some of you probably are pursuing God's will in your life, but there are doubts that you're facing and they come as a result of fear. Our doubts come from fear. If you look at chapter 14, verse number 12, is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt? saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Folks, it's when we are fearful that we birth doubts. Doubts always come as a result of our fear. So prayer begins the journey. Doubt accompanies the journey. And faith is available for the journey. You look at chapter 14, verse number 13. Moses said, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. God gives us the faith that we need to complete the journey. But then action completes it. Verse number 15 of chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Folks, 
To know God's will, there is a time to pray. That begins the journey. We pray, we seek the Lord. But you must understand that when you know God's will, then you must act on it. God is saying, why are you praying? What, when you know God's will, what is the purpose of prayer? Now it's a time for action. You see, when we know that God is leading us to do something, we need not pray about it anymore because now it is time for us to act on what God has told us to do. Prayer is not a substitute for obedience. When we know God's will, we are to do it. Let me conclude. God has a plan for your life. Every one of you. God has a plan for your life. He will fulfill that plan as you follow after Him so that when you come to the end of your life, you will have few, if I had it, to do over again. So what is God telling you to do today? Well, if, you are, if you've never been saved, you've never trusted the Lord, you've never committed your life to Him, the Bible says it's not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So that's His will. If you've been saved but never been baptized, that's His will. That's what it says. If you're looking for a church home, our door's open. Now, I don't know if that's God's will for you or not. That's something you have to decide. Does God want me to be a part of this family? If he says yes, you ought to do it. If he says no, then you shouldn't. But that's up to you. If we are going to come to the end of our lives with as few, if I had it to do over again, then we need to make good decisions today. Make good decisions today. Our Father, I want to come and lift up this invitation time, help these people to make good decisions. And Lord, we know a good decision is your will. So I pray, Father, that you would put in their hearts in a way that they understand what your will is. For those who've never trusted you, I pray they would today. In Christ's name, amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing a hymn of invitation. It's your opportunity to respond to God. What's he telling you to do? If you know in your heart, do it. You need not pray about it any longer. Just do it. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come, I'll greet you should do.